Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tabletop Cyberpunk. My name is John John the Wise. You're listening to the podcast about Cyberpunk Red 2020, 2077, and anything my heart desires. And today we have a very special guest. But before we get into that, make sure you guys join the Discord community. The link will be in the description below. It's a Discord community hoping that you guys will connect with Cyberpunk, find games, talk about Cyberpunk, all the cool stuff. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the YouTube channel. If you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. It's just all cyberpunk all the time. And make sure you guys follow me on social media at John John the Wise on all of them. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, everything. And make sure you guys join that Patreon for exclusive content like you would be hearing this episode before everybody else. And other exclusive content like games and world building and a whole new series about campaign building and that's it patreon.com slash john john the wise all right enough of that we have with us an illustrious guest a legend within the community cody pondsmith the creator of the witcher rpg how you doing Oh, I'm doing all right, but I I don't know. I didn't want to talk now. I'm not going to live up to that. <laughs> I, that's what I do. I build up my guests, and then they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like, uh, I, I build them up to like this high pedestal. <laughs> build me up and let me tear myself down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, basically, I only have people on my podcast that I like really admire. And then the whole time, it's just an hour of me telling them how much I love them and then making them uncomfortable. That's pretty much my whole podcast. I will I will try not to let my head get too big. Well, it's all good, man. Um, yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of cyberpunk. I'm a huge fan of everything your family does. And I have so many things I want to ask you. I did give you, like, a list of questions. But, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. I did the list. I usually do the list because it's like it relieves anxiety from both parties because like we've never met each other. Yeah. And it's like at least we know like where it's going, the conversation. But, you know, who knows? Me and you might start talking about whatever, whatever we like and things like I like your hair. It's nice. Thank you. (laughs) I would say the same, but I like your beard, though. I, I, I am jealous. I wish I could grow a beard like that. You you can't. I hear that from people. They're like, oh, yeah, mine just doesn't do that. Yours doesn't, like, do the beard thing. Not really. It gets out It gets out a bit, but it, it doesn't fill in super nicely. This is, this is, like, the best beard I can get. I usually trim it up a bit more, but yeah. Oh, by the way, you guys know the drill. You'll hear my son screaming in the background because he loves his dad. <laughs> so and i'm sure you know about about loving your dad as you are part of the family business yep. i gotta ask you man i uh i also work in uh, the family business with my father-in-law but because he's my father-in-law yeah. and not like actually my dad i think it works because me and my dad we would just butt heads dude there's no way we would survive a work week so i just want to know like uh what made you decide to get into business with the uh, with your pops and everything. Well, it, it's kind of it, we like to we like to joke around the office that I was that I was uh, I was raised to become the heir apparent of Telsorian, <laughs> um, but weirdly, that's actually not even vaguely true. Um, they, there was 
there was no real concept of me necessarily, you know, joining Telstorian or anything like that until I came to my came to my parents with like a copy of Teenagers from Outer Space that I had found when I was super, super young. And um, it just sort of evolved from there. You know, I grew up in a family uh, of of game designers and role players. And I just got into tabletop. And at a certain point, you know, I, I had that arc that I think a lot of a lot of tabletop designers have where like I just started making games. Yeah, you know, I just started like working out games and stuff like that. And that sort of evolved into me, you know, taking more of an interest in it. You know, a lot of people don't know I started out I, I literally started out in the mailroom of Talsorian back when it was in our house. That's um, so cool. Like <laughs> sorting mail. I, I started out yeah, I started out and it was it was it was basically every time we got in an order on our site, I would go down to what was literally like a closet in our basement mm-hmm. and go pack up all the books and then Lisa would take them and send them off. Um and I just sort of worked I, I literally worked my way up from the mailroom, which is pretty hilarious. <laughs> but um Humble beginnings. No, it was Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 very it's very interesting because yeah, I did not there was not this like you're going to grow up to be part of the company. It was more just sort of the situation of I came into it over time and eventually, you know, I'd help out on projects and stuff like that. Um, as we sort of kind of started tell story and back up again. It's cool that your dad and mom uh, both had the, uh, wisdom to not like force it on you. And they were just, they were probably like, if he shows interest, then that's what, cause that's kind of like my philosophy with my kid too. Because my wife's like, dude, don't get your hopes up that he's going to be a nerd like you. Because if he like likes football and baseball, you're going to be like heartbroken. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm going to do reverse psychology. I'll be like, ah, you, you don't want to see this. <laughs> this stuff sucks. It's it's lame. And see what happens. <laughs> we'll see how that works. I'm curious. <laughs> I know. I'll keep you updated. But uh, is that basically kind of like how they did it? They were just like really like, yeah, if he if he does it, he does it. If he doesn't, whatever, you know. Pretty much. Um, for a lot of my childhood, tell story, and it was you know, um, we like to say that we were we were you know uh, running silent, as it were. We had sort of gone into into hibernation of sorts. You know, for a lot of when I was growing up, you know, Mike was working at Microsoft, and then later um, Monolith. And, you know, in the video game sphere, as it were. Um, so we really started kicking things up after I got, you know, somewhat older and I was actually like participating more, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was this sort of like I just kind of came up into it. And that kind of helped like branch out into stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the. Um, the the Witcher, well, <laughs> we, we wound up on the Witcher because. Um, we we did this deal with with CD Projekt for Cyberpunk, and um, as part of that, they contacted us because they wanted to do a Witcher tabletop role playing game, and they were asking if we you know if we had any suggestions or if we wanted to do it, and um, I I foolhardily uh, threw my hat into the ring on that. At some point, I think it was like Mike came in and said like, "Hey, they're asking about they're asking about a Witcher TRPG. Do you want to do it?" And I was like, because I've been playing Witcher 2, mm-hmm. like, religiously at that point. I was like, yeah, I, I, I was absolutely down. Um, 
So I, I sat down and, and basically in the time between when, when they told us that and the, the first time me, Lisa and Mike went over to Poland to look at cyberpunk stuff, I sat down and basically wrote what would be roughly the skeleton for the, for the Witcher TRPG in like a big, horrible green binder and then <laughs> took it over to Poland to show it to them. Yeah. Well, the, you yeah. guys, you guys had the, uh, framework of the it's called the fusion system right um it's interlock and fusion are both very similar um interlock came first and then fusion is kind of a building on interlock mm-hmm. um is that is it is it called fusion because the dice explode up and down now is that like the only difference um there are a few small changes in fusion as compared to interlock um honestly I could not give you a, an encyclopedic list of those changes. Yeah, yeah, don't but, worry. <laughs> um, little bits here and there. Sure, sure. I, I didn't expect you to, like, I'm not trying to grill you. I'm like, tell me the differences now. Of course not. Let me, let me pull out my... <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But, I mean, that... I'm, I admire that uh, whole idea of, like, you're like, okay... I'll try this thing out. Yeah, I want to make a game because I'm sure you've made games and we'll talk about your insane game idea that I just I heard it on the podcast with Phil and everything. So I got to hear about that again. But um, how do you even start something like that? Like it's another franchise. It's another world. What do you even what's like day one stuff that you do? So I and this is like a big part of my of how I build games in general. I've I've always found that in my because a lot of a lot of how I build games is either self-taught or I learned it from Mike or I learned it from studying other games. Yeah. Um you know, I've never officially gone to school for game design, but you know, since my father was a game design professor, I, you know, I got some a little <laughs> through <bit>. osmosis. <laughs> but um I find that in a lot of cases, the first step is to take a look at the world you're trying to represent. And then once you're reasonably sure you have a good concept of that, build character creation. Gotcha. Because in character create, I I find that character creation, because they have to work the player into playing the game and every aspect of character creation touches on some aspect of the game design. Hmm. If you build character creation, then you have like a framework for what you want the game to do. Because at some point you're going to say like, okay, now that I have made this class and I know that this class is a wizard, I now know there has to be a magic system. <laughs> that's, that's the best and, way. <laughs> and if I say, if I feel, I, a lot of what I do is based off feeling. Um <laughs> Which is, I think, part of the sort of learning out through osmosis. Yeah. Uh, if I if I go through and I say like, okay, well, I want wizards to have access to like this many spells of this, you know, intensity at character creation, then that gives me a framework for kind of how I want to build the magic system. I I know what I want in the end. How do I make that happen, as it were, and make it um, unique? Because I mean how making a wizard like how do you not copy everybody out there you know it's been done a thousand times yeah what do you do differently right well that was that was one of the fun parts about about witcher was trying to build 
trying to build a magic system that accurately or at least reasonably accurately portrayed how magic happens in witcher mm. um there was a lot of kind of going back and forth on you know what tangibly that that system had to do and what it had to feel like to get a system that reflected the very dangerous um you know very sort of swingy nature of magic in witcher until you get into like until you got to like the higher you know power levels effectively gotcha to where you were kind of more competent in that magic um so a lot of it is just like you start with character creation you figure out what you want to do and then you figure out those systems like branches off of the trunk of character creation. Mm. And then it's just a lot of iteration of like, this didn't really work. Maybe if I, if I change this number here and I lower this number here, let's test that. Gotcha. <laughs> that didn't quite work. And yeah. I'll flip this number here and I'll put this descriptor here. Does that work? Yeah. And then, uh, and then you release the game and then somebody breaks it. Like immediately, right? Yep. I was hearing in an interview that. I... So, what was the thing that happened? <laughs> so, I have two. I have two that are the big ones, and one of them is a really important object lesson for new game designers. Um, the first one is Quen, hmm. because in Witcher you have the Quen sign, which is the shield sign, and it has two forms, and one creates a force field around you, and the other absorbs damage that you take. Hmm. And one big part of doing the Witcher TRPG was basing it on the video games because we were, you know, licensed by the creators of video games. So I went a little too far in the, um, you know, um, effectively showing what was shown in the video games, you know, mirroring as much as possible. Gotcha. Um, and wound up with a Quen that if you cast it reasonably would just, make you damn near invincible oh shit! <laughs> because in a lot of cases that's how it was represented in the games you know i uh my wife when she played witcher 2 did like a full quen build and like she she was not super comfortable with the game but she got really good and powered up quen a lot so she could tank through the game effectively oh my god that's hilarious um <laughs> but that came out terribly um because it just it absolutely broke it in half. Yeah. Um yeah. so I had to rewrite how that works. Um and the other one, the more object lesson is um I the thing that you don't tend to think about I think in a lot of cases is that the moment you put a game design out to, you know, publication to to distribution, it suddenly becomes this wild situation where the game goes from like 10 to 30 people looking at it mm. to thousands of people looking at it. Sure, sure. A and community. No, yeah. And no matter how smart you are, no matter how clever you are, thousands of people will always be smarter than you. <laughs> yep. A wise so, man, a wise man knows he's a fool and only a fool thinks he's a wise man. <laughs> so I had this amazing moment where I was listening to a, a, a an actual play of Witcher and there was a mage who is like a, a sort of fire mage, and they're in a fight against some bandits or something, and they hit one of them with a fireball, and it, it kills them, but it lights their corpse on fire. And I'm like, okay, makes sense. That's what the spell is supposed to do. And then she turns around, 
and uses another spell, which is used to grow the area of flame or grow the intensity of flame, and takes the fire from the corpse uh, and transfers it onto another enemy. So she just makes an AOE spell from a dead body. That's yep. amazing. It's a corpse that's explosion. It. I'm sitting there like, no, no, I guess that's legal. You can do that. <laughs> that's cool. Come on, man. You didn't account for burning corpses? <laughs> it's, it's really, it's quite fascinating to watch because you, you will never think of everything that the community will think of. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess for, to some degree, you got to expect it, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. like you guys got James Hutt to do some of the, the writing on Cyberpunk Red. And yeah. he's like alpha. If there's like a a spectrum of like power gamers, he's like the head honcho power gamer. So he's gonna build a system knowing like I know there's another sicko out there like me. So let me make sure that they have fun too, and the people that are like normal will have fun too. I've I've learned a tremendous amount from from Mister Hut. He is a great designer, dude. Amazing, um, so yeah, talented. I, we've had. We have had many long discussions in Balancetown as we have gone through, um, gone through. He's he's walked me through things he he's doing for you know one one section of Cyberpunk or another, or we'll work out. We spent uh, an absolutely blistering few weeks working out a bunch of new spells for for Witcher for our upcoming Magic supplement. Ooh, and that was a trip. That was that was an absolute <laughs> trip. That's cool, man. Yeah, because honestly. I'm I'm the type that's like, uh, oh, just give me a list of spells, I'll pick one, or give me a list of weapons, I'll pick one. I just want to play the game. But like, I have other buddies that are like, all right, let's go to the back of the book, look for the thing that the game designer messed up on, like the corpse on fire and stuff like that. My wife is my wife is a terrible a tower a terrible min maxer, and <laughs> I've had to learn to live with that. Oh man! You know, in a sense, you know, those things uh, I've learned through playing uh, Warhammer 40k that those people actually mm -hmm. help the game a lot because it, if you want the game to evolve and you want it to get to like that sweet spot of like balance, you got to yeah. have those psychos out there that do those things that bring misery to all their friends, so you know like how to fix those things in the future. Yeah. No, it's very important. You gotta, you gotta put that game out to be broken in any way that person can break it, so that you can fix it again. Yeah, and I noticed like, uh, like playing Cyberpunk twenty twenty, it was definitely one of those games that uh, the books and the supplements were like, here's everything, do whatever you want, and we don't care. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no limitations, nothing, and have fun with it. And what that ended up doing is making everybody make their own cyberpunk 2020 game so you come to my table it's a completely different game than somebody else's table what made you guys decide to kind of rein it in a little bit on red and uh tell people like hey if you guys want to have like a balanced experience try this character creation with these limitations and we created this the book with this in mind so like Take me through that process if you can. It's a lot of it is just sort of um, it's sort of focused on two levels. One of those levels is we wanted part of giving that but more balanced experience was giving sort of everybody 
something as it were mm-hmm. you know we had this age-old problem in 2020 which you know is not every table but it was a lot of tables that we were seeing was that um you know you play a solo you play a solo with a reflex 10 and you know you pump up your your weapon skill to 10 and then you you know buy the best gun you can get yep. which is not bad that is that is a type of gameplay but we're seeing that that was sort of the the dominant gameplay for for a lot of people and you know we we wanted to make sure that in red there was a lot of options we wanted to make sure that like you would feel as legitimate playing a you know a media on the street as you would feel playing a solo with the best gun or that you could play a uh, you know a tech who's fixing up the stuff and feel like you weren't a secondary character or something like that or that you had to like be that sort of solo fantasy and once again this does not encompass everybody's experience with 2020 because i've been in some some really good 2020 games that were not that yeah and once again that's not bad i think a a straightforward like you know expendable style solo campaign would be really fucking fantastic if you got a good gm on it yeah i would play that in a heartbeat yeah um but the other thing was that there is a lot of the sort of variability of of 2020 came from the granularity of 2020. Mm. And we found that sort of part of the problem with the granularity of 2020 for some people was that it allowed you to build like absolutely anything you wanted, but at the same time, it could, in some cases, slow down table play quite a bit especially if the gm wasn't as familiar um or a player wasn't as familiar yeah the crunch right um yeah and that it was very alienating to a lot of players that were you know seeing 2020 especially people who were like they played we have a lot of people who like only play D &D five or they got brought into role playing through like the powered by the apocalypse system or something like that so we wanted to try to kind of strike a balance such that there was still a good deal of crunch that made you feel like your choices mattered and that you could really plan ahead, but not so much that it would alienate a bunch of people or, you know, newer GMs or newer players could play it without it being too much of a slog until they kind of worked it out. It was a lot of it is sort of making it a little more friendly to entry level players so that they could work their way up to becoming intermediate or, you know, you know, master journeyman level players. Yeah, totally. Um, and a lot of that is a lot of that is kind of interesting because, you know, I, to some extent, I'm always quick to point out that so far we've put out the core book for red. Um, but we have, uh, we have black chrome in the works and mm-hmm. we have a bunch of ideas in the works which are going to bring in a lot of things on top of that core system that will kind of get that somewhat wilder scope back in some places. Gotcha. Um, you know, we've only put out the core book as it were. We haven't had the chance yet to put out all of the supplements, which a lot of those supplements are kind of what made 2020 the game that it is like you know chrome 3 4 mm-hmm. and you know 1 2 and black hands and stuff like that yeah i mean every supplement the wild side book 
made the fixer character creation like a whole new thing with the that point yeah. buy system and the contact list home of the brave gives you i'm pointing because i'm pointing at it even though i'm not but uh yeah. it gave you like you could do an entire military campaign with military characters because of home of the brave so if you guys have that kind of stuff in mind for red yeah it's going to reach the same heights as com- of complexity i of course i can't say anything solid but of course we have black chrome that we're working on yeah um and i we have two or three more products uh, tentatively in the pipe that will definitely be falling into sort of that category as far as uh releases are you guys planning to do like two releases a year i mean i know you can't obviously it's hard to tell with covid and everything right now but um if you perfect world would you guys be doing two books a year or three or one so perfect world it would be probably two releases a year Mm -hmm. um perfect perfect world I would love to do two releases per line, um, especially since we're we're pretty, you know, I work on Witcher. I jump in on Cyberpunk from time to time, but I primarily work on Witcher. So gotcha. we have a Witcher team and a Cyberpunk team. Of course. Um, you know, we are still quite a bit smaller than I think most people really like Grasp, which yeah. is kind of the problem. But yeah, I would say I would love to get to the point where we're doing basically two two solid products a year. I think that's fair. I think uh I think that's kind of what everybody would expect, but it's so hard to tell what can be done with with the yeah. way things are. I mean, even with uh you guys releasing the core rulebook, it's like they're out there, then they're gone. Then they're out there, then they're gone, and it's like it's so hard to keep up with the demand, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it has been, it is such absolute madness. I, I have to admit that we had no, I don't know that we could have had even a vague idea of how, how, how fast that first print run would fly off the shelves. Yeah. And we are so amazingly, amazingly thankful because the turnout for, for Red has been amazing. And we've seen so many people doing actual plays and doing reviews and and talking about it and it's it's really amazingly heartwarming actually it's awesome man i mean for someone uh, i've said it a thousand times on my podcast so i'm sorry to all my listeners but that cyberpunk was one of those games that i had to like sell to my friends because they're like what it's not dnd i've never heard of it. it sounds complicated then all of a sudden it's like front and center and everyone's like, dude, remember that game you were telling me about, me about? And I'm like, yeah, dude, please come over right now. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, it's really, it's really great to watch. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is like, I'm so ingrained in the communities because, you know, I'm a big cyberpunk fan first. So I like being a part of the communities and talking about it. I've seen a lot of people that are like, this is my first RPG ever. And it's not like a small percentage. It's a pretty large percentage of people that are like, I don't know anything about RPGs. I've never played D&D, nothing. And I just like Cyberpunk. I want to see what it's all about. And then, of course, there's the people coming from all the other ones. And it's like it's like this uh, breath of fresh air for all the whole gaming community to be able yeah. to play this game. We're, we're really glad because that's what we were aiming for. Yeah, I was honestly nervous because it's a lot of pressure to take a 30-year-old game 
that has like all that marketing pressure from 2077 and even with the best intentions it could still be very difficult to pull it off but i was so happy when jay sent me the beta rules and i read them and i was like oh my god this is gonna be amazing dude i knew it was a home run i knew it right away so this part of me building you up (laughs) oh no you're good i'm just i'm flashing back to the blood sweat and tears that went into putting that core book together i bet man i bet we had um we, me and James had a had a, a a harrowing night, his more harrowing than mine, where we we had everything in layout and we were just reading the book like cover to cover to find anything we could that was wrong. And I, you're just I read, jaded, huh? You're like, oh, reading the I, same thing. <laughs> I read through I read through a bunch of that book, like you know, just chap just chapter after chapter, trying to find anything, anything at all that was wrong with it. Um and I, it, it was like, it was like a solid 12 hour work day that day. It was just like, get in, read through, find anything you can. Yeah. And James, James stayed like till 4am that day. Cause he wow. read the whole fucking book cover to cover. He read the whole book. That guy's and, something yeah. else, man. That guy's seriously, it's so, uh. I'm so uh, I admire everything about him like he's a young guy so ambitious he told me the whole Xbox story of talking to the the guy and like totally blowing it and then here comes Mike going like hey you want to write cyberpunk or you want to work with Artel Sorian and he just like hit it out of the park you know what I mean that kind of pressure on a young guy when I was around his age which was like 10 years ago Jesus Christ I was like uh I, there's no way I, I would have fucked it up, hundred percent. There's no way I could have done it. So, now he's he's a great guy and he's a great designer. I'm I'm really happy to to be able to work with him. Yeah, same here. Uh, let's talk about some of the questions that I have here because I'm very curious to see how you feel about because we were talking about Cyberpunk 2020 and yeah. how at every table is a different table homebrew and go-to house rules is there are there any like homebrew rules that you've carried on cyberpunk red and even witcher that uh that this is that's like your style let's see let's see well in in witcher i have a lot because uh, a lot of the time when i run witcher it's for convention games gotcha and a lot of that is you have to like get people in um you have like four hours to get people to figure out a what Witcher is, b what the TRPG is, c how it works, and then give them an experience. So and you don't really have time I, to look up rules and see what's right, what's wrong. So you're just like, let's get through it, right? Yeah, a lot. I like to say in a lot of cases, and this is part of the reason we did easy mode for Witcher, is that a lot of the rules, a lot of the more granular rules in Witcher are there, sort of if you want that level of granularity. But the game will run without them. That's things like um, the the various range setups. And when I do table games, I tend to, you know, is it within the range of your weapon? Yes, you can make the shot. If it's like at the far end of your range, I'll probably put you at a penalty. But, you know, I streamline a lot of it to kind of make it run faster so that I can get people in and have them have a good time. Yeah. Um, uh in in red interestingly in a lot of cases i i don't tend to house rule in a lot of cases because i had 
a certain amount of like hand in how a lot of those the rules went together. You know, I was not on primary design for the core book, mm-hmm. but James and I worked in in certain places together on the jumpstart kit, which a lot of stuff carried over, of course, to the core book. Yeah. And I understand where all of those rules come from. I'm o- I'm always in a weirdly tentative place with with um not homebrew necessarily, but um you know, house rule mm-hmm. because I have had some horrible house rule experiences where I have house ruled something because I didn't entirely understand why it worked in the system and then it has bitten me so hard later. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um trust the process is what I try to tell myself. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've I've had somewhere I've definitely house ruled quite a lot. But yeah, Cyberpunk weirdly, I don't tend to house rule that much, though I've been thinking about how I run net running, and that's more like an approach thing because mm. it's 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 very interesting to try and get, especially in like a convention game or like a a a, a live stream game for somebody else. It's very interesting to try to get them the concept of net running all at once in that short period of time. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I'm actually with you on that as far as uh, not doing homebrew. For some reason, I'm telling you, Cyberpunk 2020, my games were co- almost entirely homebrew. I changed things and di- made different things. Even when I played D&D 5e, I changed things that I didn't like. But for some reason, Red, I would rather play rules as written. Like, I just got around to the evading of gunfire. For the longest time, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't like it. I don't like dodging bullets. But after people talk to me about it and and really like help me understand, it's not evading bullets. It's evading gunfire. You're superhuman. I was like, okay, all right, I get it. And that's pretty much it. Everything else is like I'm, I'm playing rules as written. What do you think it is about Cyberpunk Red that has us not making house rules well for you like you said you made the rules but there has to be something else i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that um a lot of red is so in certain circumstances red kind of stands out a little bit because like a lot of the core focus of red was on the gameplay as it were um you know um there are a lot of aspects of 2020 that were because 2020, the focus was on the realism. Yeah. Basically like the, there are aspects of 2020 um, that the focus was entirely on capturing the realism, which we did really well. Yeah. But that doesn't always translate over to the, the gameplay aspect in certain places. So there's things like I have had, I have had some hell, uh, some some hellish times in 2020 playing a low body character. Yeah, because I'd get hit by something and I'd be, you know, stunned, and I'd be trying to roll under my body to get unstunned, and that was just not happening. Yeah, is that realistic? Yeah, but at the same time, it it can be co- sort of tenuous back and forth. And I think a lot of the difference in red is that while we lost some of that realism the focus was always on the gameplay experience. No matter, trying- no matter what class, if you're not a solo, whatever it is, your experience is always going to be a fun experience. Yeah, the, the concept was trying to make a game that everybody could get into and have fun, and you know every aspect of it would be fun and give you lots of moments to feel like a badass, 
and you know give you a lot of like stories that you could tell after the game you know so a lot a lot a lot of red was built into making that gameplay experience fun and then on top of it you know i was not there when we did the initial design on 2020 but we play tested the hell out of red yeah we sent it out to tons of people we got a bunch of different people we play tested it in-house we play tested it out of house you know we we beat on that thing until we were we were damn sure that it was going to run well yeah i mean it's the even the way it's designed is designed for playing the shit out of it i mean every aspect of it especially like combat it's the combat system is its own skirmish game I made the my first video I ever made on Cyberpunk Red once the embargo lifted was a combat video because I knew that people are going to come to this and they're not going to realize that there's so much nuance to it that at surface level they'll be like uh you know you shoot they take damage whatever but it's like no dude cover grenades special ammo uh, I mean the walls are electrified all the kinds of crazy shit's going on with combat and I realized that, like, oh, this is going to be a skirmish game. And Monster Fight Club is making that awesome skirmish game now. I don't know if you know anything about it. Do you know any details? I, I know a few things about it. We're, okay. we're, still, we're still working out some stuff, and I can't really say anything. Okay, but... okay. I won't press you on it then. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the whole point was I, I immediately looked at this, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is awesome. Because it's a game within a game. The net running is a game within the game. The social aspect of the game is a game within a game with the opposing roles and stuff like that. So I knew immediately that there was so much nuance to this new system. And it's a thick book too. So I can't imagine <laughs> I can't imagine how much more can be added to it. If uh, you can believe it, we are aiming for three hundred and twenty pages. Really? <laughs> Well, you get overshot it a little bit with that beautiful night market section. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, uh, you know what? Let me step out right now. I'm going to go put my son down to uh, bed real quick and then I'll come back. If you want to take like a bathroom break real All quick right. or something. All right. So we are back. I uh, went to go put my son down, ladies and gentlemen. So to you guys, nothing changed. I wanted to ask you your preference because for the longest time yeah. I've, uh, I've always been the guy that's like, oh, I want to play. I don't want to run the game. And then yeah. something happened where I'm like, oh, no, I actually love running the game. I love making the game. I have no problem doing this forever. What's your preference? You like playing? You like GMing? What's your thing? So I had I had exactly the same experience. Um I I was the I was one of the better GMs in my in my group, so I just wound up as the default GM for for a long time. And I was yeah, I was always like, man, I want to play. And then I found out that I'm a terrible player. <laughs> I I I think about I still think about the game like a GM, even when I'm a player. Yeah. So like, I I have such a hard time, especially in creating characters. Every everyone who runs me fucking hates me for this because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I I I have that thing which I'm sure I'm sure you probably have as well. I'm sure every GM has this where I have great character concepts that I like flag away for games. But that means that when somebody calls upon me to be like, "Hey, I want to run a D&D &D game, you know, send me over your character, 
you know, you can do anything in the core book or whatever. And I do it and I make a character and I'm super invested in that character. And I'm like ready to play that character. and I have a character image and everything. And I send to my character sheet. I'm like, yeah, this is my character. They're a half orc or whatever. And then like two weeks later, I'll have another character concept. <laughs> I'm like, hey, so you're, you're that guy, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy, which worked great when I'm a GM because I'll just take that character, file it away. I'll use that character in my game later. Hell yeah. But you know, I've gotten to the point where I, I, I do. I do think I generally enjoy running more than I enjoy playing because I like everything. Like so much of role playing for me is about telling a story. Yeah. Um, so I, I love to put together a story and then watch my players explore it. Yeah, that's, or, fu- that's or like fuck my it favorite up. Part. Yes. <laughs> well, explore it and also fuck it up. Yeah, I'm one because of those they people never that don't fuck it up. Exactly. And the I've I've always thought to myself, like, you know, that they're supposed to fuck it up. If they don't fuck it up, then that means that there's something wrong. And I actually look forward oh, yeah. to it. I'm like, I wonder how they're gonna fuck it up. And that's like the uh, that's like the fun for me, you know what I mean? It's it's always interesting to watch because um you know, a it's a, you can't no matter how well you know your players, you can't tell exactly what they're going to do, you know? Especially some players. Um I've I've run games where like I ran a Mutants and Masterminds campaign where I was going to do the classic like your team your your you know, high school kids and you discover your powers and you're going to become a superhero team or whatever. And partway through, I had like the, the, you know, good guys shield kind of organization show up and be like, Hey, you know, welcome to the Avengers initiative or whatever. They wanted to basically have them like register with this, this, you know, secret service organization or whatever. Gotcha. And it just went full brotherhood of evil. It just, like, <laughs> like, they went full, full Magneto, like d- down with the humans, like not oh, full shit. down with the humans, but like it went, it, it just went 360. I'm like, okay, I, am I kind of running a villain campaign now? Yep. Yep. You, are we the baddies? <laughs> but like, I mean, it's always fun to see when that happens, especially like in those, in those like split second decision moments. Um, my wife is is completely insane because she she has like she has a brilliant mind, but also no self preservation instinct in any game she's in. Because <laughs> she's like YOLO, dude. So she will do absolutely mad things just like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It always throws things off, and it it, it has led to some interesting uh, inner party discussions. But it's always kind of interesting to see where those lead because you have that moment of like, oh, oh, okay, wasn't expecting that. Yep. Give me a second. Yeah, one of those situations for me was uh, my players had robbed the wrong place. They like robbed a Merc bar and like shot it up and then they were like, what's behind the register? And then took all the money there. So I was like, okay, I got to make sure that someone comes after them, the person that owns the bar is a corporate okay and this is like her side thing so she sent a hit squad after them and then i was like it has to be an appropriate hit squad it can't just be like a couple boosters this has to be a big deal group because 
they robbed her bar where mercs come. So she obviously has mercs that she can hire to go after them. So I, I had this whole plan of like a van pulling up. They open the door. There's a minigun turret on it. And they ambush them in the middle of the streets. Yeah. And I was like, man, am I going to kill one of these guys? Like, I think I am. I mean, a minigun is going to kill them if like, you know, just realistically, if it makes sense. And they did the one thing I never thought that they would do. And they ran away. Uh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wow, it blew my fucking mind, dude. I was like. Oh my god, I didn't account for you. They were like, yeah, why would we st stick around and fight a dude with a minigun? And I was like, well, yep, that makes sense. But I'm so used to them, like, wanting a murder hobo everything that when they ran away, it totally completely... I was like, okay, well, now I got to figure out something else to do because you guys ran away. I, well, I did, I did an amazing... My best stories come from convention games because... It's this amazing ability to get six people together for like four hours and have absolutely hell break loose. Hell yeah! I once, I once ran a uh, a Witcher a Witcher Con game at Gen Con where the whole plot line was this like uh, brides of Bluebeard thing where like this noble that was ruling a city kept taking brides and the brides kept disappearing. Ugh. Eventually, they found out that he was marrying these women so that he could sacrifice them to a noon wraith that was trying to kill him. Mm. But through the course of discovering this, we had basically like a witcher, a priest, um, a doctor, and a man-at-arms. And they got to this amazing point where they, they had snuck into it because the, the next marriage, like the seventh marriage, was going to happen. And the priest, who went full rogue was this like fire and brimstone eternal fire preacher who separate of the party went to the chapel where the priest who was going to be conducting the ceremony was and basically knocked him out and stole his clothing and was impersonating him. Oh, that's genius. And had been giving like fire and brimstone hellfire speeches in the local tavern to the point where he had like inducted an acolyte. Who is like working with him at the same time it all came down to this big battle where they're fighting the noon wraith in this castle and the witches up there you know with their silver sword the man-at-arms is is fighting as well and they're up in this beautiful like gallery hallway with like paintings and tapestries fighting this noon wraith and the doctor is the doctor despite the fact that they've got like a bow and arrow they're like nope nah nope so they wander back downstairs while the mage is going. They have a mage. The mage is going down to find the corpses of the women who are sacrificed to burn them and release the curse or whatever. Yeah. The doctor wanders back downstairs to where the noble is hiding away in this vault, and seriously, genuinely goes to them and says, "I want to use my business skill to negotiate a better contract, so we'll get paid more for this." <laughs> <laughs> what in the middle of like the whole combat all the shit's going on so it, they're like let's sit down so and talk it, numbers in the middle of this in the middle of this dramatic noon wraith fight where, where the witcher and the man-at-arms are like going blow to blow <laughs> with this wraith and the mage is going through the catacombs with like the torch and he's finding the dead bodies of the women the doctor is in this library standing outside this vault door negotiating contract with the noble oh my god man. and you're like yeah i mean he's listening to what you have to say now let's let's go back to you guys all right you're on the verge of death 
That's amazing, dude. Yeah. That's great. So how did it? Did they kill the 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 wraith and? Uh... They they killed the wraith. The doctor negotiated an excellent contract. They got them paid far more than they probably were originally going to. All and right. then they still stole a bunch of shit on the way out. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, guys, you're welcome. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, I mean, there's something about um that whole surprise and stuff. You those are the memorable moments, you know, when when stuff like that happens. It's not it's not memorable what like skill checks you do. It's oh, yeah. it's memorable like the crazy shit that you guys get into because you want to take chances. So I always welcome it. I always do. Yeah. Um let me ask you another question because <clears throat> we're talking about Cyberpunk 2020 modernizing it and and everything. We're now at this new era especially with COVID that like the virtual yeah. space is huge. I mean, if for some people like me, it's my exclusive space where I can play. I don't have a, a gaming group. Yeah. I have one friend that I see every once in a while, and we do one-on-one sessions. But as far as like a house group, I don't have that. Now, I know that uh, it's all kind of like brand new to a lot of people. There's like Roll20, there's yeah. this, there's that. There's It's licensing, who knows what we do. It's like a whole mess. But um, what do you guys, how do you guys feel or how do you personally feel about like the virtual tabletops? Do you think it's the future? Is it part of the modern gamer? What are you guys doing as far as keeping it in your brain as, as you guys develop the games? See, it's kind of, that is kind of a weird one because it's so, for a lot of people, it's so dependent on your, your sort of situation. It's like, I, I'm in, um, I'm in a D&D group that runs on Roll20, mm-hmm. um, like, weekly. And that's, you know, obviously we got to do that because everybody comes from a different household. Yeah. And, you know, I, my GM doesn't necessarily love it, but I think it, it's very cool. Like, a lot of the map tech and, like, the damn dynamic lighting and mm. stuff like that is, is extremely cool. So you've experienced, um, the, I, I you've experienced the, the virtual gaming kind of to its fullest, because dynamic lighting and stuff like that, that's a little more advanced. Yeah, and it's, it's very cool, and I think that the really important thing about it is that, you know, beyond the great use we're getting out of it during COVID, it's, it's a solid way, because I... Uh, Back in back in the olden days, and by the olden days, I mean like five years ago. Mm-hmm. I I wound up one of our players in my Pathfinder game, like moved to Florida, and so we had them, and we just had to put them like on a laptop on Skype next to the table. Yeah, and it's not that good. was just absolutely horrendous. No, it's not good. So, I've done I've done the one guy on Skype. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 really really great especially if you have, you know, people who are forced to be remote for some reason. Like I I'm in a weird place where I probably would do my 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 weekly game on on a or on a virtual tabletop just because I like a lot of the aspects of it. But every I have the the unique situation of my my game is basically all my housemates. Yeah. So we can get together, so it feels a little bit silly to have everybody on their laptop, but I'm still on the lookout for like a a screen or a tablet large enough that I could get a digital map because yeah. that would be really nice. 
Yeah, I've always told people, like, I made a video on theater of the mind versus battle maps, and I've yeah. always been the type of person that's like, why have a versus? Why not theater of the mind and battle maps? You know what I mean? Le use whatever tool yeah. is at your disposal. And there's really something special about being in the same room with each other. As much as virtual tabletops oh, yeah. are awesome, like me seeing your face, rolling the dice, that's something special that I don't think that... With video chat, you can kind of capture it, but it's still not the same. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's... It... I think that it is a really, really good tool if you have to be remote for some reason. Mm -hmm. But I still think that in person, you know, once we get out of this unpleasantness, I still think that, you know, in person is generally better if you can. Yeah. At least for me. That's my that's my take on it, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, I to I, I I agree. I I'm think Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say from a from a more official standpoint. Um, Talsorian is in a place where we we're, we came a little bit late to the virtual tabletop kind of kind of arena, as it were, and we're kind of in the process of of getting our stuff out onto more virtual tabletop places. We are absolutely one hundred percent down for it. We just have to find them and get our stuff up on them. Yeah, we have a lot of meetings about like, is it worth it to go to this virtual tabletop? You know, are people using it? Are people asking for our stuff on that tabletop? What can we do for it? You know, yeah. there's some really very cool character sheets made by people for Witcher and, and Cyberpunk on various virtual tabletops. Yeah, that yeah. I've that's one thing that I've noticed from the community is the desire for the of everybody. And you're talking about people that are coders, artists, I mean, game designers themselves. And they have this like insane passion for cyberpunk. And I try to give you guys uh, a little bit of support behind the scenes by letting people know like, hey, it's a small group. They didn't expect this kind of notoriety. And they're, they're trying their best. They care about the, the, the fan base. So uh, I think that some people might be a little bit frustrated be uh -huh. with, with the way things, uh, how like... They just want to be able to log into Roll20 and everything's there. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of shit that goes in between that, you know? And and I understand their frustration, but what do you guys have like a solid plan? Are you guys kind of uh trying to still figure it out as you go or what's the deal with the with the future of virtual tabletops? To some extent, a lot of it is research and follow through on that research. Yeah. Um we we have to basically figure out where you know where we would have the most impact and then you know i think for a lot of people a lot of the stuff that you know they don't necessarily see is that it is a, a pretty reasonable investment of of time and effort to get it up there and we a lot of times we like find people who are like are willing to put, help put our stuff up there as it were yeah because we are tremendously swamped with everything else we're doing but it's not it is not a lack of the desire to put our stuff up on virtual tabletop it's more a situation of being kind of still unfamiliar with it yeah and needing that manpower to actually get it up there in a reasonable way yeah yeah totally and i know that you guys have been very careful with your licensing 
you know, um, it's like a, a handful select people that actually get the official cyber cyberpunk red licensing to be able to do the kind of stuff. And that's totally understandable. So I'm sure that that goes into mind as well in the future when you're thinking about where it's supposed to go and, and all those things. Right. Yeah. 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 We, we want to make sure that we don't get anything that, you know, even more than like tarnishes the license or anything like that. We, we don't want to give, we don't want to license somebody to do something that, you know, then everybody thinks is, you know, terrible or, you know, offensive or, you know, any of that stuff. We want to make sure that anything we're putting out and anything that our licensees are putting out are of good quality and stuff that people are genuinely going to be excited to see. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I I think you guys have done a good job. I mean, monster fight club is amazing. The, their minis are beautiful. The sirenscape, beautiful sounds for all types of scenarios and even Q Q workshop, right? That's the other one that yeah. you guys work with. As far as I know, that's the only people publicly that we know of that have the license, right? Uh, the license. The uh, licensing yeah. to make products. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and will there be more in the future, you think? Or uh, like stuff that we don't know that are kind of under wraps for now? Um, I will tell you that there. I today I just had a meeting about some stuff that's under Ooh. wraps. Perfect. Um, <laughs> there we so one of the things and i don't think i'll get in trouble for saying this sure um one of the things we're doing is we're taking a really solid look at um how people play the game and what game aids uh are useful for people playing red and playing witcher perfect um you know, we're we're in a place where there are a lot of game aids that people use for for various games, and a lot of them could be done really well for Cyberpunk. So we we actually have a list of possible concepts for for game aids and and sort of supplementary products that we'd love to put together. And some of those are being implemented in certain ways, but once again, I can't talk about it. Sure. No, that's great. That's exciting just to know that you guys even have that in mind. You know what I mean? It It's good for the community to hear that you guys are working on it. I know you guys love giving us surprises and that's how you're like, we'll talk about it when, when we're ready to talk about it because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or make them feel like we don't care, but it's like the exact polar opposite. You guys care so much and that's why things are a little bit under wraps, right? Yeah. We we don't want to we've had we've had situations where, you know, we have, you know, come out and done a big show and then, you know, things have forced us to push back or things have forced us to change aspects. And we don't really want to do that to the community. You know, if we if we come to you and say that we're doing a thing, we want to be able to say, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, you can roughly expect it at this time. This is basically what it's going to be. And we want to be solid in that by the time we actually talk about it. Yeah, 100%. Well, I appreciate it as a fan, and I'm excited to see what kind of stuff you guys have in, down the pipeline like super excited. You don't even know. I mean, just thinking of just the name Black Chrome. I mean, that's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> I have I've seen I've seen some aspects of Black Chrome and while I can't say anything specific, um Black Chrome is going to be a very interesting product because um, you know, 
in red, we took, um, you know, part of the sort of, um, like, simplification of certain aspects for approachability and for other reasons was, you know, making sort of a list of, of you know, sort of generic type weapons and then the exotics. Mm-hmm. And black chrome is just, like, it's, it's just like a, an airdrop of, like, crazy weapons and... Um, we have some some other things. Some uh, I think I can get away with saying we have some. Um, not sure if I can say. Don't say it. We have a lot of a lot of very exciting things, including weapons and some other things. But I've gotten to take a look at it, and it's there. There are some things in there that I'm tremendously excited to use in my own games. Oh, that's great. That's good to hear because I know that a lot of the 2020 aspect was like gun porn like all that whole thing like you talked about earlier the realism and everyone i even talked to seth skorkowski and he said that him and his buddies used to have arguments like is the nine millimeter with the one d6 plus two better than the two d6 minus one or you know and those kinds of debates are we going to be having those same kind of debates no so one of the one of the big changes we made in in red is that we wanted to we wanted to basically if you're going to get if you're going to get a weapon that is not a like a a generic assault rifle or something of like we want the the specialness of that weapon to stand out you know leagues ahead mm-hmm. so what black chrome is going to be when you talk about weapons is it's not going to be it's going to be less sort of the you know this is an assault rifle with, you know, plus two weapon accuracy and, you know, plus three damage and, you know, this and, and that and whatnot. And it's going to be more focused on, you know, this is this specific brand of assault rifle. You know, it, it's roughly the same as an assault rifle as far as like range and it probably has roughly the same damage output. But here's... Here's like a, a a block of special ability stuff that it does that makes it a special weapon. Got it's, it. It's a lot. It's a lot more in that category of like, it's not going to be a bonus on the statistical side, but it's going to be a bonus on like, it's going to be a bonus on the this gun or this weapon or this sword or whatnot has like, for instance, the um the EMG. Uh, the Rhine metal railgun in in red. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is technically uh, like an assault rifle, but it just tears through any armor that's at eleven points or lower. Yeah, it ignores so it, be, right? Yeah, so it's going to be at that same level of it is going to have a very cool ability or augmentation to the weapon that makes it cool. Yeah, I get it. Kind of like uh, along the same philosophy as like the exotics, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's amazing. I can't wait to be honest with you. That's really exciting to hear. All right. Before we get into the fan questions, we got to talk about this crazy ass game that you have planned. (laughs) And I'm glad you did The Witcher first so you can... uh, so you can focus on that and make that a perfect product. Uh, so when you do this game, it's going to come out perfect, right? Okay, so if you're talking about this Descendant concept, this is not a game I'm making. This is a horrible endeavor that I put myself on. You're going to um, make it, man. You're going to make it. <laughs> at some point, I might. It's, it's, it's a very interesting concept. But um, 
So, so uh, the legacy, I call it, we call it the legacy game. Mm-hmm. The legacy concept came from the fact that I, I am a, I am an obsessive collector of, of role-playing systems. I have a shelf up in our, up on our top floor that is just like ceiling to floor role-playing games. That's awesome. And I had, I had the dark realization one day. Um, I was, I was, I was faced with my own mortality as I realized that at the rate I was going, I was never going to play a lot of those games. So I came up with the absolute horrible uh, Iron Man, Iron Man challenge of the legacy game, which is basically a game where for those of you at home who don't know, the concept of the legacy game is that you start out in one system in some early time period of your world and everybody makes a character and then you play that system for 10 sessions. And at the end of that 10 sessions, you go to an entirely different system and everybody swaps one clockwise and everybody makes the descendant of the previous person's character. So you're playing the you're playing like the great 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 grandson of the person to your left from a different system. And then from a different system and then you play 10 sessions of that and then you move to a new system and everybody swaps clockwise and you're playing the descendant of the other person's descendant of the first person and you go up like that through the generations um swapping character lines back and forth which is always fun because you then get to watch people build this association with these bloodlines yeah and they can talk about like they, you can have somebody who is playing the great 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 grandson of another player and that other player can be like oh man my 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 bloodline has really gone downhill <laughs> you bring shame to our family <laughs> Yeah, um, I like that. We have a we have a kind of awkward one in the legacy game currently because I've done we've done three legacies. Ooh, and we're on the fourth. Okay, and um, two two of the characters are like semi immortal. They're they're super long lived. So the characters, two of the characters from the third legacy game, are still technically alive in the fourth legacy game. And they're off screen, but every once in a while I'm gonna let the players who played those characters like pop up and make commentary about the the current characters. That's but, it, man. That's such a chaotic mess, but I love it. So we started we started out in uh Verm uh by Nocturnal, uh which is caveman uh like Ice Age era roleplay. Ah, that's amazing. That's such a smart idea. And then what? You're going to end up in like uh space and then you're going to end up yep. in some otherworldly dimension. It's been it's been Verm and they were they were a group of they were a group of cavemen who were displaced from their their river valley by a dark spirit kind of thing. And then we jumped ahead to Bronze Age and we played RuneScape or RuneQuest. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. RuneQuest, where they were these Bronze Age warriors who were descendants of these their previous characters who were uh battling against the same sort of evil entity that had taken sort of an avatar form on the world and had this giant monster. And then we move forward to Iron Age, and we played in Ragnarok, Fate of the Norns. Dude, I love um, that you have these on hand, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and they were they they were the they were like the 
great descendants of the the initial caveman characters and they were returning to the island that their caveman characters had been had been uh run out of to basically finally once and for all defeat this dark spirit dude and then we've jumped ahead another hundred years and they're now in warhammer uh fantasy fourth edition oh they they're in the grim dark Yes, and their characters are the are the descendants of those characters who are now following this quest set forth by two of the characters from the previous game to refind the ancient artifacts of this predecessor uh sort of like their their god had given their ancestors these great tools but their ancestors had uh had shunned the the gifts of their god and the god had spread them throughout the world so that they might once once again find them someday so their characters now in warhammer are going around finding these artifacts and they're going to wind up uncovering this sort of dark mystery you know surrounding the gods and this dark spirit that invaded their realm so many you know centuries ago dude you just gave me that spark of inspiration like they uncover this ancient ritual site and then they find like the sword of the old character and it's like dude it's the sword oh my god it's the fucking sword that's awesome man so basically what i'm supposing is you're not actually Uh making a game what you're making is a supplement you're making a supplement for any game for every game is what it is because you're making a non non uh system or what do they call it system agnostic supplement which yeah. i don't think that's ever been done before i think there's system agnostic games but i don't think there's been a system agnostic supplement and basically what that does is is it gives you ideas on how you can integrate it into any rpg any book anything out there and give like add your own mechanics to it to keep this kind of consistency with the story of the legacy going on it's definitely a trip um (laughs) especially because everybody does everybody tends to do magic systems differently yeah i have to like weave it's like worm uh verm all of the magic is like shaman like contacting spirits and making deals with spirits and then in RuneQuest, it's all based around sort of the gods and spirit magic. So I had to weave like now the contacting spirits to make deals with spirits is done in a sort of more organic way where you're reaching out to the spiritual world to pull on the power and the gods are there and you can kind of call on them for for aid. And then Ragnarok is all based on runes. Mm-hmm. So it's like now we've sort of harnessed the spiritual energy using runes and sort of rune magic and then going into warhammer warhammer fantasy magic is of course like super chaotic and really dangerous so what i'm saying is that basically in the wake of the last big event in the third legacy the gods have been forced to turn their eyes away from the world so they can defend against beings from the beyond so they're no longer kind of guiding the flow of magic. So magic is now super chaotic and dangerous because yeah. the gods are no longer guiding it. An event happened. That's why magic is different in this game. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's great. I love that idea of connecting the worlds, connecting the characters. I also love the idea that your my character does something really awesome in our campaign. 
and makes a deal with like some god and says, "Please give my descendants combat pr- prowess or like better combat prowess," and then that translates to plus one sword play in any game that you play with this line of descendants. We we had a really interesting one with that because um, while one of our one of the characters in Legacy Two wound up um, becoming a vampire at the very end of that legacy. <laughs> That's um, so we move forward, and there is now just like a vein of vampire blood running through the sort of dom fears of that bloodline all the way through to this legacy. That's so um, cool, man! It's it's really it's really wild, especially since everybody kind of you wind up building on the bloodline heritage. So you get this really interesting thing where like we have all of the bloodlines kind of have this thing that goes through them. So there's one that started out as this like apprentice shaman in the stone age game. And we worked out through there that that character was basically prone to possession (laughs) just because they, they wound up with, um, this ability where they they basically boosted their their path to becoming a shaman by having a near death experience. Uh. So now every every character down the line of that bloodline has had this thing about being possessed and or dealing with the dead oh. and spirit and stuff like that. Yep. As you get your strengths genetically and you get your weaknesses genetically. I love that. <laughs> That's so cool, man. So it's when are you gonna I've, make I've, this thing, dude? I have no clue. I may I may sit down and work something out, but I it's it's honestly it is a complete it is a complete Iron Man challenge in one respect. We've actually toned back to doing longer campaigns than just the ten sessions because I come to my players and be like, "All right, totally new system, <laughs> everything you know out the window." New and they're system. like, "Come on, man, we just got warmed up with this one." Yeah. yeah. It was, especially since there are definitely systems like I, I, sh- I would have run RuneQuest for quite a lot longer because that game takes some getting used to. Gotcha. Yeah. There are definitely some games that you can't you can't dip into for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also have but to be it's... careful what game you guys do start playing because it could totally fucking make the whole thing chaotic. Like Symbiata's Rifts, which is like chaos in uh-huh. itself. That's like a chaos game already. So I don't. I can't imagine what it's gonna do to your legacy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so I'm excited. Legacy from Artelsorian Games coming 2022, 2023. We'll see. Uh, I'm excited for that. All right, let's get into some uh, fan questions. These are questions that we got from the Patreon. So, if you guys want to ask some questions in the future for my future guests, let me know and join the Patreon. Twiggy has a few. He says, does RTG plan on expanding into the old net for red? Um, And then they say, do you plan on expanding current weapon systems? We kind of covered that with uh, Black Chrome. And uh, lastly, will they make a more fleshed out enemy bestiary? bestiary? I never knew how to say that word. And there's a lot of mention of animals, biomade animals, robots, and more that we just don't know how to make. So old net. Are we expanding that in red in a supplement? And is there going to be like a monster manual for red? 
So I will start by saying, in a way, yes to both. Mm-hmm. Um, the old net is an interesting situation because it is we're still figuring out how we would want to model that if we did, you know, in the time period of red, uh, the black wall is, I think it either is just about, I think it's just about to go up. So you can still technically get into the old, old net. Um, it's deeply and phenomenally dangerous because, uh, you will encounter rabbits and it's very likely you will be killed. Yep. Um, but a lot of that is gonna, I can't say anything specific, but some of that is going to kind of pop up in supplements down the line as sort of interesting background stuff. As far as actually doing rules for going into the old net, I don't know that we have any plans at the moment, but I, I have some plans and I do want to, I do want to see if we could do something like that because this is sort of the last time in the cyberpunk timeline before we hit the black wall going up where you can go into the old net. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I cannot sit. This is not official. This is not something Telstorian is officially doing. Sure. But I've, I've always thought it would be interesting to do old net, almost like mega dungeon type stuff. Yeah. Like a dungeon where, crawl. Like, yeah. You like, you go into the, you find some old access point to the old net where you can actually get in. <laughs> And it's absolutely horrendously dangerous. But like, if you get in there and get out, you can like find really cool stuff, especially because of the data crash and all the data swapping that ha- happened during it. Yep. You know, theoretically, if you could get into the old net and get back out, you could get and navigate it somehow. You could get some really, really cool stuff. Oh, yeah. Old tech blueprints, old corporate secrets. I mean, stuff that you could just sell top dollar anywhere because they're they're trying to get that shit, too. And then there's all the net ghosts. Yeah. Um, Well, I have the... Oh, shit. That's scary, actually, because you die in the net. You you stay in the net. That's crazy. Whoa. We don't stay in the net, but we... We, you know, part of the thing we were doing when we were going over red was the determination that in the last days of the of the fourth corporate war, Arasaka manages to basically weaponize Soul Killer. Yeah. Um, so there are probably hundreds of netrunners who got soul killed in the last days of the fourth corporate war who are just <sighs> net ghosts on the old net now. Oh my god. And the, there is one line in the core rulebook for red that like totally blew my mind where netwatch is having conversations with this uh with the ai what do you guys call them not the soul killed ai the uh transcendental trans i think that's what it's called it's pretty much ai that just like became self aware uh and they like netwatch is having some kind of like cthulhu like a bargain with these ai people like hey can we clean up the net can you help us out and obviously you can't tell me more about that it's like super secret but holy shit man what the fuck is going on (laughs) no there's a lot of very there's a lot of very cool stuff in the old net um that i i want to dive into we don't have anything officially planned but no doubt that we're going to do some old net stuff um a, a definitely down the line. Yeah. Um, in the case of um, bestiary books, um, <clears throat> I can say that we have 
we have plans for stuff like cyber cyber animals and drones. We're working out some of the stuff like robots and stuff. Uh, I can't say exactly when all of it will will sort of be finalized and tested, but you know, rest assured that we we have some plans for doing future um, supplements that would be probably not directly a bestiary. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyberpunk is is a system that we don't really want to do a flat bestiary, but it will probably be. Um, needless to say, there will probably be a new Night City supplement. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, that's expected. I mean, I feel like that's expected, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in that, we'll probably have a lot of sort of bestiary type content. Yeah. Um, for like stuff you'll run across in Night City. Uh, like I said, can't say anything 100%, but yes, we will be fleshing out more more enemies. We'll be fleshing out the stuff we didn't talk about. We have some plans for some of the crazier aspects of 2020 that will carry forward into Red. Yeah, I do think uh, that's all great to hear. I, I do think that there is this desire from people to have like pre-made things, like, uh, yeah. like f- pre-made adventures, campaign books uh pre-made npcs factions so like it would be cool if we had like a supplement where there's a bunch of gangs all the leaders all the henchmen their history everything is in this book and we could just insert it into our games i i can't say anything specific but let's just say that we've had that thought at telsorian as well okay that's good that's good to hear see guys you I get this kind of information out of Cody <laughs> in an organic way. All right, let's move out to uh, Max. I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin your last name. Preuse, I believe. And uh, Max says, anything at all regarding time frame for more red books? I think we kind of talked about that already. The two a year is what we're trying to do. And any plans, interest to move into the digital space Perhaps an official Foundry VTT system or similar way to play Red digitally. I think we covered that, right? Is there anything else you would co- say on top of that? I don't think so. Basically, yeah, our plan is we are we are kind of spreading our tendrils out into it as as fast as we can reasonably do it without hiring somebody specifically to do that. Sure, sure, yeah. And I feel like we talked about that enough. So uh, let's move on to Sean Gregory that says, I'm curious what it was like growing up with Mike as a dad. Did Mike read him grim future noir bedtime stories like William Gibson books? And how common was a game night in the Pondsmith household? Did they play a lot of cyberpunk? So, see the weird... Okay, so I feel like this is probably... This is probably the answer you'll get from anybody in that what was it like growing up with X? Um... You know, I grew up with Mike as my dad, primarily, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, he's kind of a larger than life personality, Um, you know, uh, you know, it was not super weird until we started hitting sort of the later parts of the 2077 stuff. You know, every once in a while we'd get letters from people that were like, you know, I grew up playing your games and I'm really, you know, I, I, I really love them. But, like, that was in many ways a normal thing, and it didn't happen super often. So it was very 
normal, but then we kind of hit the 77 stuff and it kicked up and it became more, more sort of like a common thing. And mostly I just tease him a lot. Yeah. Um, you got to give like your that's... dad shit or else, you know, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, very, very sort of like, I can't call out like any specific things really. It's, it's been very normal more or less. Yeah. It's, um, I don't mean to speak for you, but it's also, uh, if it, it, your dad is your dad, I mean, that's how yeah. it is with everybody and you love your dad and you put them on a pedestal because they're your dad. But then there's people out there that are like, see him as a hero and it's like hard to connect that, right? You know, you're like, it, it, there's like a little bit of a disconnect with you and those people, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's very interesting, and it, you know, it's it's very cool to see that he has had such an effect on people. You know, a I think that anybody is lucky to have that sort of effect on on people. You know, I I hope that you know. Witcher TRPG and the stuff I've worked on can have that effect on somebody someday because it's it's very very cool you know to know that somewhere you made somebody's life a little bit better or you know you you gave them a light in some dark times yeah hundred you know, percent is really beautiful um, but yeah he's he's my dad you know it's kind of that's that's that um, did he read you William Gibson uh, bedtime stories no. <laughs> okay no but. Um, let's see. Uh, Boat in God's Eye. Um, a, a lot of sci-fi. A yeah. lot of sci-fi, actually. Moat in God's Eye. Um, a, ser- a, te- a series about a teleporter that I cannot remember the title of to save my life, but it was one of the old sci-fi classics. Um, Snow Crash at one point. Um... Nothing like super, super uh, dark and gritty that I could recall. Yeah, but definitely a lot of sci-fi and and Snow Crash, which is a a, a great book that I I had a great time having read to me when I was younger. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't I didn't actually expect your dad to like read you bedtime stories of like old sci-fi stuff. That's actually pretty cool. Did you? Uh... It was very. Did you guys, did you ever have a lifeline with your dad where you could like come to him with uh, game master tips, you know, cause everybody has their like influential person. And, um, was it even your, was your dad, the guy that was like, this is how you run a game or whatever. I mean, definitely, definitely to, to start with, he was like a lot of the foundation. I picked up a lot from him and a lot from, from my mother, Lisa. Um, cause you know, I was running games by them. Um, I picked up a lot of my, uh, I picked up a lot of, <laughs> a lot of nasty tricks and a lot of, um, <laughs> a lot of sort of DM management tools from both of them, um, that I have continued to use, uh, into, uh, into, you know, my later life. Mike is the one who first showed me how to, how to set up a kill box in a, uh, in a game table for uh, for con games, um, <clears throat> for con the games, old, uh, the guy has no mercy, man. Yeah. Oh, it's the old. It's the old. Uh, hide the enemy and then put something the players want right in the middle of an open field, uh, and if they're dumb enough to go for it, it's the cyberpunk then, uh, version of a uh, mimic. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, 
I have a lot of I have a lot of fond memories from a lot of games that I both ran with them and were was run in by them. Yeah. Um So then yeah. so that to answer second... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask what the second question was. I got, oh, I yeah. got lost for a moment. I was going to ask see we're on sync here, Cody. I was going to actually say oh, the good. second question. <laughs> the the next one was uh what you were just about to answer, I think, is how common was game night at the Pondsmith household? I guess everybody imagines that you guys just you don't even eat. You don't sleep, you don't eat. It's just cyberpunk, witcher, tabletop gaming till I die for life, thug life. We we had we had a weekly game for quite a while when I was younger. Um we we haven't actually had a big game night, you know, obviously recently for yeah. for, for reasons. Um but I was um I was running Mask of Narlatep with them and um, our art director, Jay Kovach, and our managing editor, Aaron Tarbuck, for a while, which Shout I really out. want to get back to that game. Shout out. Yeah, Aaron, uh, Aaron is, uh, is he new to Artel Sorian? I just saw that he... Uh... Um, he's new in a way. We've had him, um, he's been a family friend for a very long time. Gotcha. And we have we have often consulted his his great wisdom on the games industry, um, but he is he is a f- new officially as gotcha. it, as it were. Gotcha. So he's like more. He was always around, but now he's like official RTG employee. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, obviously we're all jealous. Everybody would love a play. I'd love to play a game with Mike and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's like one of those holy grail things for everybody and for good reason the guy's a genius obviously he's your dad so you know all about that but i do have to ask you would you want to play in my game you're invited to play um if i were not horrendously busy i'd say set up a time right now but (laughs) uh, it may take a little bit of it may take a little bit of planning back and forth oh yeah no it's not tomorrow or or next week or anything like that i'm talking about in the future because I was I, I was shocked when I heard that James had never played Cyberpunk. 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 He told me I'd never played it. I've only ran it. I've never been a player. So I was shocked, and I'm like, all right, now you're going to play in my game. I'm going to throw my homebrew rules at you, and you're going to be confused, but we're going to play together. So I'm extending that same invitation to you for the future. I, I would be honored. I sure. would be honored. That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear it. Well, hey, man, we've uh, we've talked a lot. I'm sure we could keep talking. I don't want to keep you too long. I'm seriously so honored to have you on, man. I, I really appreciate everything you guys do at RTG and how much support I've been getting from you guys. It's seriously, I don't even know how to explain how that makes me feel because, uh, like I said, I've been a big fan of Cyberpunk, Talsorian, and uh, it's good to see you guys doing well. I it makes me happy to see you guys doing well, and I can't wait to see uh, what else you guys have in the future for us. Well, I am I am absolutely honored to come on, and that you asked me. This has been a ton of fun. All right, man, we'll do it again. Um, whenever Black Chrome is about to come out, how about you and James come on and we chat about it and stuff like that? Whenever you guys can actually say something about it, sounds good to me. Is there anything coming up? Uh, I know you guys are going to be at uh, a convention soon. Is there anything that you wanted to plug on that? Should I look it up for you? Um, We have an appearance at TotalCon where we are doing some games. Um, 
And then I think we're going to be, we're doing Gamma, obviously, but that's not a, a more of a consumer convention. I think the next thing we really solidly have planned is if, <laughs> fingers crossed that we get this COVID situation worked out by August. Um, we're, we're, I deeply miss going to Gen Con last year. Yeah. I think this, I'm, have they said that it's not coming back this year? Because I feel like it, I think we're kind of going a little bit back to normal, right? There, from everything I've seen, Gen Con is planning for an in-person convention, but it's all going to kind of depend on how we handle the next few months, I think. Of course. I mean, the good news is I saw an article saying more people are vaccinated or have had COVID than mm -hmm. are actually in danger of having it. So it's like we're getting past that hump and and we, yeah. we pick the one hobby where we got to be in each other's faces <laughs> swapping yeah <germs>. unfortunately <laughs> so yeah i mean yeah i wish you guys the best uh i can't wait for the future is there anything else you want to say before we sign out um i i gotta be i gotta be horribly cliche for a moment and say uh it's it's really great to 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 reach out and and talk to you and, and be able to kind of talk you know in indirectly to the community we we really if you ever wonder everybody out there we really genuinely love you and care about you you it is amazing to see this community grow i couldn't have said it better man and i really appreciate everything you guys do we'll see you guys on the next one thank you so much for the support have a good one guys bye